and everybody. It's great to see you today. Welcome today to on, on Uncommon. Now, first service, they got cowboy boots, Paul. And I was in my cowboy boots. I, I looked a little cooler, but um, I'm in. Uh, but you get in sneaker, Paul. Okay. So uh, I couldn't handle the cowboy boots. They bothered my back, and also I felt like I needed to move around a little bit more. You know, first the crowd in the beginning was they were a little quiet. So we're going to kind of liven it up. I got my sneakers on, so just in case it gets crazy in here. Good to see all of you today. Uh, that's just a little bit about what you'll be experiencing over the next 30 minutes. And I uh, want to remind you that this coming Wednesday is our Uncommon, or our, not our Uncommon, it's called Encounter Service. Happens at 7 o'clock. Where, what we do there is we seek God through worship, through, through getting together in little groups and praying for one another, but mostly by seeking the power of the Holy Spirit. It's where we, we open ourselves up to the gifts of the Spirit so that God can move in people's lives. And he has been. We get incredible reports about what God does in people's lives. He's been doing a lot of cool things in my life, which I am absolutely thankful for. So let me encourage you, Wednesday at 7 o'clock, that'll be a really good thing. Then your Saturday. Saturday, what we'll be doing at 8 o'clock, we'll be getting all the men together, and we'll be having men's breakfast together. Don't worry. I'm telling you, yeah, I got my sneakers on, man. When I put my sneakers on, everything seems to move a little bit faster. But 8 o'clock, we have men's breakfast. We'll be talking about our theme for the year. So guys, 8 o'clock, we start at 8 o'clock. We start eating sooner than that, but we'll get you home by 9. Now, if you're going to tell your wife that you, it really didn't get over till 11.30 and you, you know, swing by the golf shop on the way home, that's between you and her. We won't tell her that it's getting over and uh, it, it will be all done by 9.30 and you'll be done out the door. So we encourage you to join us this coming Saturday for a pancake breakfast. Be a good time. Also, if you're somebody that's been uh, giving here at Crosstown, you want to get, you know, file your income taxes really quick, uh, let me encourage you. Heather will be in the back so that you can get your giving statement if you haven't received it already. So there we go. Now we're into Uncommon. What is Uncommon about? Um, Uncommon is about deciding to stop living under the status quo of life. You know, this... The same problems, same solutions, and then no really lasting change in our lives. And we have status quo problems, and we have status quo solutions. We have status quo expectations of life, that this is just the way it is. And speaking for those who are over 60, if you think your life is done, it is not. Um, Today, God is going to challenge you about that just because you've been living a common life, maybe up to this point, that you don't have to let your life remain and finish the way that it is right now. You don't, if you're somebody that's been victimized and gone through hardship and experienced difficulty in life, it does not have to remain that way. You do not have to define yourself based upon the status quo of the behavior of other people or somebody in your life. God wants to bring the uncommon into your life. And that's what we're pursuing. He calls us to live the uncommon life of Jesus. And I think we all agree Jesus was something special. I mean, I'm watching that show, The Chosen, and um, it's just amazing. And if you have a hard time reading the Bible, I get it. You know, I'm not a big reader myself, but watch The Chosen. It is absolutely amazing. And as you're watching it, as they bring the biblical message out, you'll discover the uncommon, uncommon compassion, the uncommon character, and the uncommon courage that God wants us to live. 
It is just absolutely amazing. And when your life has uncommon compassion and character and courage, things begin to change around you. But normally we get our status quo behavior, uh, expectation. We get it from society. Society tells us, you know, um, what, we should, what we should be like, what we should expect. And, you know, when you're supposed to move into a Del Webb community and that's where you're supposed to do this and, and where your life is supposed to be and how women behave and how men behave. A lot of us get our status quo of how we're operating based upon our experiences. You know, you might've dated a guy who was a real schmuck and therefore you think he's kind of like a dog and all, all guys are dogs and, you know, and so you got this status quo mentality moving into relationships based upon an experience that all guys are this way and um, maybe genetics are your status quo. You're, whatever your genetics tell you to do, that's what you do and you excuse yourself based upon your genetics. You know, you got a little bit of a temper like your father had or you know, a little bit of a drinking problem like your mom might have had and you just decide, well, that's the way it's gonna be. They had problems with depression. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be living in depression as well. See, I was raised in a Ford family. We had a whole set of problems. We drove Fords. Everything was a Ford. I mean, seriously, that was back when it was, it was, Ford's cool, but this is when it was like super cool. So these are actually pictures of the replicas of, of the vehicles we had. Um, the, the top left-hand corner, that's a Ford Econoline uh, E150, I believe it was. I think it had like 86 horsepower. My dad, there was 10 of us. My dad would get all of us in this vehicle. I mean, every one of us, in the, so seven, seven boys, one girl, we'd get in there, no seatbelts, and the speed limits were 75. So there's not enough seats in there for 10 people, so we would take turns being assigned to lay down behind the back row of seats or in between the seats. I'm not making this up. This is not like you go uphill both ways type of story with snow. This is true. We were a four Matter of fact, well, I guess we had to be a van family because we were, had that many kids. But the top right-hand corner is a picture of the van that I owned, and uh, that was not for hauling uh, 10 other people around. That was for a whole different kind of lifestyle. You know, 19, that was a 1970 lifestyle. We have a support group that will help you uh, in that life. And then I also wanted to point out, we only, we, I only remember having one car in the family and it was a Ford Maverick. Folks, this is a Ford Maverick. What they're selling today is a little pickup truck and it's a really good pickup truck. But that is what a Maverick was. And, and, and that's, we were a Ford family. And back then dealerships, you didn't have like Stokes and, and uh, Hendricks uh, or Fred Anderson, all these different dealerships that you have. And, you know, Stokes has uh, Stokes Honda. Then you got Stokes Toyota. Then you got Stokes Mazda. And, and they're all wonderful cars. But the dealership could sell anything. Back then, if you were a Ford dealer, you only dealt in Fords. You bled Ford. You believed Ford. Matter of fact, as a family, um, we... We hated Chevy families. You know, I mean, we just didn't like Chevy families. If you were a Ford family, you didn't like Chevy families. The only time that, that Chevy families and Ford families would get together and picnic was when they were making fun of Dodge families. And so that was the only thing we had in common was just not liking Dodges. But I, I remember when the first foreign car was, matter of fact, it was me. Uh, no, no, Thomas brought in it, bought an MG, and then I bought the first Toyota in the family. It was a 1973 Corolla station wagon, and I couldn't afford a van at the time, so I 
figured the station wagon would work. And so I had a little station wagon. And I remember my dad just, you know, it's like, how dare you bring this foreign car into our family? We're a Ford family. So we all are raised with biases. We all have status quos. We all have expectations about what we think life is going to be like. But we've been called to something uncommon, and it may take us out of ourselves. And Peter said it this way. This is what we need to do. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. That means we're going to have to do some reconstructing on the way that we think. If you want uncommon, you're going to have to think uncommon. He says, keep sober in spirit. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning that, listen, don't set your hopes on your genetics. Don't set your hopes on your gender or the color of your skin or your upbringing or your education or whatever it is. He's like, no, no, no. Our status quo is not coming from those things. Our status quo is coming from the grace of God and we begin to prepare our minds to think differently. We have to organize our hearts and our thoughts with God thoughts. Otherwise, we just go with the flow and we, we just live life like it was lived before us. You know, um, this, this calling to be of God, you know, to, that we're not just about God, we're not just religious, we are called to be of God, made out of God's stuff, live God's stuff, think God's stuff. It, it is, there's a word in the Bible that we use, and it's the word holy. Now, when you think of the word holy, a lot of things are popping into your mind right now. And, and I'm gonna give you a, a, a small definition of holy. If you're a theologian, you probably could break it out a lot more than what I'm gonna be breaking out today. But a lot of us have a lot of, a lot of thoughts about what holy is in our life. It's an intense uh, word, it's a religious word. I was raised Catholic. How many of you here were raised Catholic? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it, don't be afraid. Don't afraid, you're safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, not like it's an evil or anything. I mean, we were just raised Catholic. I went to all, I went to Catholic schools growing up. So we wore uniforms. And then I went to an all Catholic boys school, um, which was really an interesting experience. And, and so if you were raised Catholic, things were designated holy. You know, it, it, everything was like holy. You had to be very careful. Um, there were holy saints. So those, these were people who had been dead for a while that became saints. Uh, there were holy days of obligation. So some days you had to go to church, some days you didn't have to go to church. There were holy orders that some people became uh, priests or didn't become. Um, there were holy sacraments. There, were, uh, there was holy water. Yeah, when you came into church, if you weren't Catholic, you, you, you go in and there's a little like a bowl over there and, um, and you would just kind of dip your hand in the water and then you make the sun the cross as you're making your way and then getting the water off your forehead as you're going to your seat. And it was just kind of, um, that was holy water. I, I don't know what it was supposed to do. We weren't supposed to drink it, but, but it was holy. And it was like, you just felt cool because you just got holy water on you. We had holy books. We had holy prayers. Um, when you would come into the church, and, and again, it sounds like I'm making fun of this, uh, but I'm not because I was raised Catholic, so I can do this. Um, so, uh, but when you come into church, you didn't just walk into church, you know, and just kind of like, you know, and then just pull up a seat. Well, I tell you what, these sneakers are really having an effect on me. This is not what the first service went like. But so, uh, but, but you go in and you walk down because, right, that's where they're keeping the body of Christ in there. And then you would, you would genuflect my son across. Then you go into your pew. Um, and so everything was holy. Uh, and so it's easy for us to get it into our mindset. Holy has something to do with that. But really, 
holy for me is understanding, is thinking and living God thoughts in myself and in my world. You know, that's, it's what does God think? And we're gonna be talking specifically, what does God think about me? Because that's one of the places you gotta get some holy thinking going on because it'll affect how you deal with other people. But, but being holy is thinking and living God thoughts uh, about yourself and about the world around you. And then when you begin to do this, you begin to think God thoughts about your wife, your husband, your, who you're dating, about people at work, and you begin to live out these God thoughts, it begins to create these little pockets of space, God spaces. And the Bible would call these spaces holy ground. You know, when all of a sudden God would come and he would be, be present with a person, it would be kind of like a holy ground kind of moment. And that God wants to create within us God spaces. He wants to create a God space within us. And then he wants us to begin through our thoughts and through our, the way that we live to create God spaces around us, holy ground everywhere. So we first, when we think about being holy, and we think about the stereotype of being holy, most of us think about religious fanaticism or some sort of form of separatism, you know? And so let me just get it out there because I know you're worried about it. Holy people still watch football. Thank the Lord for that, okay? I'm not sure they root for Philadelphia, but, I, they, but they do, they do. Yes, maybe they do, okay, they do. Um, but they still like football. They still enjoy fishing. Uh, they, they do home decorating. They go to the mountains on trips. They um, love their careers and do their careers. So we want to get that out of our mind, that, that if you're somebody that's holy, you've got to join a monastery someplace, and you, you've got to go to Tibet and separate yourself totally from the world. But what God is inviting us in calling us holy is that he wants us to have his compassion and his character and his courage in all the spaces that you and I live in. So people come to a building like this and you know, it's like, they don't cuss here. Um, they don't, uh, like if, I've seen people leave their cigarettes in their car um, because they don't wanna bring their cigarettes in because this is holy. Or it's, it really is interesting how this, this place is a little bit different. Um, you think it's different. But wherever you bring God thoughts and wherever you bring God life, that's holy ground. That's, that's God's space right there. We're just gathering together uh, to learn about God. And that also, for this moment, becomes a, becomes a God space. When you walk out the door, and as soon as you're out the door and I lock it behind you and I put the football game on, you know, this just becomes an auditorium with a really big, large screen TV. So we got to break this mentality that, that it's about like holy water, holy days, but it's about you. It's about God thoughts. It's about living a God life. And it requires us to, to think differently. This is what James said. James said in, in Chapter four, verse seven, he said, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourself to God. And that's what we're talking about on common is beginning to submit your ideology to God. How you think, um, what do you think a man is and how a man lives and what a woman is and how she lives and, or what a dad or a mom is or, 
you know, or an employer or, a, or an employee. And he says, begin to take your ideas of life, your status quo, and I want you to submit them to me. How you think life should be lived, submit it to me. But likewise, I want you to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, let me just say, everything else other than God is not the devil. But it has devilish effects. Meaning this, that when we don't actively pursue God and God's status quo for our lives, things just seem to decay. They, they come apart. Underneath my back deck is where I keep my fishing rods. And I haven't used them lately. I don't know, I've just gotten too busy and, and just haven't used my fishing rods. But they've been out of the water, out of the rain. But they're underneath my garage. So I went there the other day to get one and started turning the, uh, you know, uh, the crank on the reel. And it was, it was all up. And it's like, wait a minute, this hasn't been out in the rain. And it's like, no, just the materials that are in that thing were just, began to corrode, maybe salt water in the air or began corrosion. See, when we are not pursuing after God, the devilish begins to work into our lives. You know, when you started dating, oh, the words were flowery, weren't, weren't I mean, you were quoting poetry, you were bringing flowers, you brought heaven to her earth, you know, and you brought it. But you know what? When you stop practicing and, and submitting yourself to that relationship and growing that relationship, what happens? All of a sudden, you, you're three years into it and you're F-bombing each other. You know, uh, you're, you're yelling and screaming at each other. And it's like, what happened? Is that when we are not submitting ourselves to God, we end up with good old mammalian, homo sapien behavior, dog eat dog, and we got a husband and wife we got father and son, we got employer, employee, Republican and Democrat, whites and blacks, males and females fighting against each other. It's just what happens. It, it ends up happening. And so we are called into this active work, this active tension. God's not gonna wave a wand over you and then all of a sudden you're gonna be thinking beautiful thoughts. But rather it's going to be us submitting our status quo, the way that I think I should live my life, the way that I think I should talk to you, the way that I think I should what I should do with my money, and what how I should be as an American, and taking all that and submitting it unto God and say, God, what is your status quo? And resisting the devilish status quo of the world around us. I put it this way: to think and live the way of God and to resist and reject the way that destroys flourishing in your life. You know, when you take the word devil and, and you, you put it in that context, the animation of evil in your life, that which destroys flourishing. I'm willing to bet that we can begin to identify some behaviors, some thought patterns that we have that begins to destroy flourishing in relationships. And one of the first areas that you need to think holy or begin to understand wholly, is the way that you think about yourself. That's really big. And the first thing that we need to accept right up front is that you can't make yourself holy. Most religion, and I would say all religions other than Christianity, are all about you practicing something so that you can arrive at a certain level, and then finally you feel godish in your behavior. You know, cussing a little bit less, 
watching your weight a little bit more, giving a little bit here and there, being nice to somebody on the way to work, not being as bad as the person next to you, and just being kind of a nice person, we tend to think, well, you know, yeah, I'm a little bit of heaven right here. And, and, and God wants to let us know that there's no, nothing we can do that makes us holy. We all are broken, we've all fallen, we all come short of the glory of God. We all like sheep, we've gone astray. We all have unholy thoughts, I have them all the time. We all have status quo behaviors that we fall into, routines, and uh, God wants to let us know right now, it's like, you can't make yourself holy. Paul said it this way, he says, if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why, if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to the human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They don't produce uncommon compassion, uncommon character, and uncommon courage. They don't make you holy. So that, that should be a good exhale moment for you today. Because you're probably here, and you probably cuss a little too much. You may smoke a little much. You may drink too much. You may smoke the wrong thing a little too much. You may be jealous a little bit too much. You may gossip a little too much. You may be covetous a little bit too much. And when you hear all this talk about being holy and being uncommon, you're like, there's just no way. I'm here to tell you, there is no way. So just relax, because that's not the end of the story. You are made holy. You are made into a God space by Christ. It is through a relationship with God through Christ that we become like this temple thing. The scripture refers to us as a temple. We become a God space. I'm a God space. It's like, come on, I know you, Paul. There's no, you, you are not a God space. I don't care what your footwear is. You are not a God. It's like, no, I am a God space. Yeah, but you, you cuss a little bit too much for a pastor or you drive a little too crazy uh, for a pastor. You just, it's like, God's like, no, I have declared him holy. That's a powerful thought when you're thinking about yourself. It's a powerful thought when you realize it's what God thinks about you. Let me give you some Bible to back it up. Galatians chapter two, verse 16 says this. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I mean, just think about it. Do you really think drinking less is gonna make you more godish? I mean, do we really think that um, uh, the internet or how we operate on the internet is going to make us more godlike in behavior? I mean, we gotta be honest. You know, becoming like God, becoming like Christ is, is impossible on our own. But we are told in Hebrews chapter 10 that we have been made holy 
through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We have been made holy once and for all. It's like, you're kidding me, right? You, Paul, don't you know I'm, I'm a little confused about my sexuality and you're telling me if I'm in Christ, I'm holy. It's like, yeah. It's like, yeah, but Paul, I'm struggling with porn right now. Um, and you're telling me, even though I have a porn habit, I am called holy by God. It's like, yeah. Paul, you, you, you know, you know, my father did something to me when I was a child, and I've just never been able to get past the stain of that in my life. And you're telling me, God says, I am holy. It's like, yeah. You gotta get that thinking in you. It's like, I don't care how many times you, I don't care if, if ladies, if you were sleeping with a guy last night that's not your husband, and, uh, and you're here today, and you're like, well, this isn't for me because I know what I did last night. I'm telling you, if you are in Christ today, God declares you holy. I don't care if you're a guy here and you were sleeping with a guy last night. And I, I just rocked half of your boats. It's like, listen, being heterosexual doesn't make you holy. Jesus does. Now, will it affect how we live our lives? Absolutely. There's no, he has broken down every barrier, everything that stands between us and him in the body of Jesus Christ. Every, every wrong that we've ever been, ever committed has been forgiven and we are declared, even in our brokenness today, we are declared holy by God. You are not going to be able to move forward with your life until you believe this. Uh, the Apostle Paul, and you'll learn about this in small group, and we invite you to be a part of our uncommon small groups. Paul uses this phrase, he calls everybody saints. See, as a Catholic, I was told you're only a saint if you've been dead for about 300 years, and then the Pope and a group of guys get together and determine that you performed enough miracles while you were on planet Earth. So it sucks to be you, you never get to find out that you became a saint, but somebody else determines you were a saint based upon your wondrous powers. Well, I'm here to tell you, the Apostle Paul in almost every one of his epistles declares all the schmucks of Ephesus and, and Corinth and, um, and all the other places that he went around to, he declared them in Christ. He said, if you are in Christ, you are saints, beloved of God, called of God, chosen of God, children of God. But you don't know what I've done. Yeah, but God does. You say, yeah, but you don't know. It's like, no, you don't know what God has done, that God took all that, all your guiltiness, and he crucified it to the cross in his son, Jesus. Now, is this excusing bad behavior? Absolutely not. But it's, we gotta start someplace where it's safe. And in Christ, it is safe. Then from that point on, we begin to protect this, this holy space. We begin to bring God, God, thinking and begin to create God spaces, like in our marriage. What an incredible place to have a God space. In our habits, we begin to, uh, matter of fact, um, I told you last week that I, I don't do most of my cussing in front of people. Um, it just doesn't go really well with business. Um, 
And I tried to avoid it in front of my wife because she's like, oh, holy, holy child of God, you know. And so I can't cuss in front of her. So my biggest is, is when I cuss when I'm by myself. And, yet, and last week, I'm the guy that always has a car that needs to be modified. So we were replacing the grill on the front of my vehicle because I wanted a cooler grill on the front of that vehicle. So sure enough, this one part didn't fit and then this one broke and this needed to be glued. And I tell you, hearing that sermon from last week where I talked about this, it broke and I looked left and I looked right. And I'm like, God, you know I really wanna say this. You know I wanna say it. And I said, but today I submit myself unto God and I resist it. In that moment, that was a holy ground moment. You think, well, that's just little. It's like, no, what goes on in your brain is not little to God. If God could get into more people's brains, then God would get more into the world. But God doesn't want to be in the world if he's not in your brain or in your heart. We're the temples of the Holy Spirit. And so it begins to change you. See, it's, it's like Moses shows up and there's this burning bush. And then what's the first thing God says? He declares himself to Moses, invites Moses into this holy space. And then he says, go ahead and take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. Will it begin to change the way you walk? Absolutely. But you're first invited into the safe place where the bush does not burn. See, you're the bush. See, we think if God was here, we'd all just kind of like Indiana Jones and we'd all break into fire and we'd all melt. Not in Christ. We are the arid bush in which God brings his presence and lives among us. Do we deserve it? No. Did we perform to earn it? No. It is a free gift from God. And that's what God does in us. People think being holy is hitting the world more or practicing being miserable. It's so wrong. You know, I had this woman that used to go to Crosstown, and uh, this was years and years ago, and I remember uh, she gave me a hard time because me and Susan would go out with the kids afterwards, and we would go to Applebee's to dinner for after church, like most of America, you know? And so, but we'd go to Applebee's, and, I, and she said, well, me and my family don't go out. It's like, why? It's like, well, because you're breaking the Sabbath. I'm like, what? Yeah, you're breaking the Sabbath. I'm like, how am I doing that? She said, well, what you're doing is when you go out to a restaurant, a, a, a server person comes over to the table, they're working. Your being there makes them work, and therefore you're making them break the Sabbath. Thereby, you're committing the sin of breaking the holy day, the Sabbath of God. And I'm just like, ooh, that was a nice piece of little... Uh, knife work. Um, I said, well, let's, let's do this. I said, uh, when you go home from church, I used to work for a power and electric company, Santa Cooper, Adamant's Corner. And we generated a lot of gigawatts up there. And I knew the men and women who worked the lines and ran the power stations and the hydroelectric stations. And, and um, uh, I said, listen, when you go home today, I uh, just want to let you know that you need to turn off the power that flows to your house, otherwise you're breaking the Sabbath. And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, it's because there's people at these power plants making electricity flow over the lines so that you can go home. So know this, 
when you turn on the air conditioner today, you are breaking the Sabbath. And she said, well, that's kind of crazy. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it is, isn't it? So we can go on stabbing each other to death on our religious behavior, or we can declare, be declared by God holy. So being holy is thinking rightly about yourself and the world, but thinking God thoughts about it. Remember, God loved this whole creation idea. God created some and he said, it is good. He created a little bit more and he said, it is good. He created even more and said, it is good. I mean, so God's not trying to get us to like think that the world is evil. Then he organized life for its best and optimum experience. And we call that the Garden of Eden. That was kind of like um, uh, you had all the rest of the world that wasn't a garden. Then he created this one, one place and everything flourished in it. See, and then he puts Adam and Eve, they were not in the garden, by the way. And then he puts them in the garden and says, enjoy the flourishing. And they're just walking around naked and they're enjoying the flourishing. And he says, and well, I better get back to the Bible here. He says this, the Lord took Adam and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. It's like, man, eat up, enjoy yourself, delight yourself, go fishing, you know, play football, um, enjoy life, do some artwork or something. You know, if you want to game for a little bit, sure, and enjoy that. He's like, enjoy that. But he says, but then he goes on, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Your flourishing will diminish. What will happen is that whenever we do our own status quo, we do what we think we should do in direct opposition to what God says, God's status quo, God says, listen, you still have the earth, but you don't get flourishing. You can still be married, but is that really what you want? You know, I thought it was funny. Uh, I was, when I was driving down in Florida, I pulled up to a stoplight and as I was waiting to make a left-hand turn, there was this little cheap sign that might've cost about $75. The guy really didn't put too much effort into it. Stuck there and it said divorces for $350. It's like, wow, there's your status quo solution. I can get you out of your bad situation. We'll blame everybody else for what's going wrong in your life. Get you to find a new girl, new guy, whatever. And, and all for 350 bucks. That's, that's status quo right there. Let's get you out of it quick. We'll get you into a new model. And we'll have you driving on the road in no time. You know, don't even wait for the divorce. Go on the websites. Begin to search the websites to find your next mate. You know, it's like, we don't want you to feel bad about yourself at all. That's the world's status quo. And God says, listen, I want you to flourish, but if you decide to do this on your own status quo, you don't get the garden. You don't get my best in your life. See, the only thing God asked Adam not to eat is a lifestyle outside of his status quo. It wasn't a magical fruit. The tree represented Every time you and I decide that we are gonna define us and the world around us and our experiences based upon our own definition, our own status quo. 
I'm telling you, this is going to screw up your American civil liberties. So you're going to have to decide. Resist, draw near to God, submit to God, or resist the devil. And your civil liberties may actually be the most devilish things in your life. I'm a veteran. I love America. If we go to war, I will be the first physically unfit person to arrive for battle. But I know a lie when I see one. God calls us to walk in his principles. Not in what you think about you, not in what about other people think about you, but if we want to flourish, we have got to, we've got to submit ourselves to his way. Adam and Eve decide they're not going to do it, so they end up um, on the stock market, you see this soaring fig leaf production occurred. Because, because if you're not going to live on God's status quo, you're going to have to be really good about fig leaves. That means you're going to have to find some way to cover your vulnerability, your failures, your lack, or whatever it may be. And we're really good at coming up with fig leaves, aren't we? You know, we, we, I, we were, like, again, I, when I drive, I think a lot, and we're driving down to Florida, and there was this one sign that just kind of, like, I wanted to pull over the road. I had never seen such an amazing man. Um, and, and it wasn't Jesus. It was this guy, and he was standing there like this, and it said, lawyer, doctor. This guy was a lawyer and a doctor. I am like... I couldn't even get out of college, all right? I can't do the metric system. And this guy's up there, he's a, he, I don't know, he's like, he was a doctor for a while, and he's like, well, you know what? This is kind of cool, but I really need to be on the other side of this. I need to be suing these guys. And so he goes and he gets his law degree, and then now he's doctor lawyer. I am like, that man has got one giant fig leaf. And some of us are driving around our fig leaves. Some of us, our neighborhood is our fig leaf. You can tell. I mean, I'm old enough and maybe, maybe a little bit godly enough at this point and have dealt with a lot of human behavior. I can spot a fig leaf. You know, it's so easy when somebody, you know, like, uh, hey, you know, uh, they start telling you everything about what their kids are doing and, you know, you especially people my age, they'll be like, hey, how you doing? How you doing? It's great. Oh, yeah, well, how's Jimmy? Oh, Jimmy's in law school, you know? What about Bobby? We don't talk about Bobby. <laughs> Jimmy's at law school, you know? <laughs> but we do it. Just think about the fig leaf that you're walking around in right now, the way that you want people to perceive you. But God wants you to realize that in the forgiveness of Christ, you are holy. You are a child of God. You are, you are chosen. You are beloved of God. There is nothing that's going to do that for you. But every time we reject the status quo of God, we have this giant theological word that defines when you and I choose our status quo over God's status quo. It's the giant word, sin. Sin. Sin says, God, I want to live my life according to my status quo.
You don't need to know all the Ten Commandments. You don't need to know all the 632 precepts of the Bible about eating and garments and all the other things and some that are, that are no longer, you know, we hold today. And, but you don't, you don't need to know all that. All you gotta do is take that home with you today if you wanna figure out what sin is. Is that I wanna live my life according to my status quo. I don't wanna be kind. I don't wanna serve. That's okay. There's no verse in the Bible that says if you don't serve, your that's sin. It's like, no, is it a status quo to, to serve? Yes. Is it a status quo to give? Yes. Is it a status quo to forgive? Yes. Is it a status quo to love yourself? Yes. Is it a status quo to, to um, turn the other cheek? Yes. Status quo, a sin is every time I choose to live my life according to my own status quo. I do that driving. I really, I know you guys think I'm ridiculous when I give these examples, but for me, trying to run a Volkswagen Jetta off the road is a sin issue. It may not be for you, but he tried to cut, cut in. And I, he, I'm telling you, I put my new grill on his butt and I rode it for at least half a mile before it came into my mind, you are devilish. You are living based upon your own status quo. What wrong did this person do to you? What space did they take from you? What space do you own on this planet? It affects everything. Why? Because God wants you to flourish. He really wants you to experience heaven on earth, Eden on earth. Maybe not everywhere, but in your life, in your brain, in your marriage. You know, with the, am I trying to create, Paul, Paul boasted about some things in his life and then he, he like said, I don't wanna boast, but I need to boast because I need you to know what God has done in my life. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Last, just three days ago, I'm with my, my oldest daughter down in Tampa, Florida, watching my granddaughter singing and dancing a show. And I'm playing football on the front lawn with my grandson, Paul, who was named after me. And it was just me and him, you know, and it's kind of funny, you know, when you have a 10 year old boy, you throw the ball up as high and then they, you know, it's just tackle. And so he'd run at me and, and you know, me with my bad back, I shouldn't be playing tackle with a 10 year old, but he would tackle me and then I'd tackle him and then he'd stiff arm me in the face and then I'd throw him to the ground and lay on him with all 200 pounds and he'd be like, Bob, my grandpa, what are you doing? I'm like, you stiffed arm me in the face. Don't you stiff arm me. No. We did that for an hour and a half. And I walked in hobbling, hurting, and I'm like, I have experienced the best life a human can experience. Amen. And that's after drugs that's after crime, that's after divorce, that's after, I mean, it wasn't like I was just born, this, this is after getting kicked out of colleges, almost getting kicked out of the military. It's like, how? Uncommon, uncommon. It's like God said, hey, dude, you see what your status quo is doing? Um, now be willing to uh, submit to me and resist the devil? Yes, sir. It's like, okay, because I want you to flourish. And I can tell you, Flourishing happens. So if you think your life is over because you've already screwed it up, if you think it's all messed up, 
Uh, if you think you are the way that you are and you've got to remain that way, it's a lie. Today, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, through the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, you can be declared holy through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You were invited to thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For real, for real. I mean, you're being offered that today. So what's the solution? Think differently, think God thoughts, think holy. So what is my God thought to finish off today? This, God gives me a gift of forgiveness, an invitation to experience flourishing and a challenge to submit and resist. That's what God's offering every person here today. It's like, but Pastor Paul, you know, I struggle with alcohol or cocaine, or I have same-sex desires, or I'm living with my boyfriend, or I hate my father, or I was molested when I was a child, or I'm jealous of everyone else, or I've done harm. I have molested someone. Today, it's all about the gift of forgiveness. God wants to declare you his chosen, beloved, holy. You can't earn that. It's an invitation to experience a restoration of flourishing. I don't care if you've been married three times, you're on your third spouse and you were thinking about your fourth. You were thinking maybe I gotta move on from this one. Stop right where you are. Begin to incorporate God, make me holy and begin to teach me your uncommon thoughts. I'm telling you, it can change everything. Absolutely everything can change. God's inviting you to the challenge to submit to him and resist. There is no Christianity without this challenge. It doesn't just bibbidi-bobbidi-boo to you. It doesn't just gold dust fall on you. You've got to decide, God, here I am. Here's what I think a man is. Now, please give me what a man is. This is, this is an invitation to flourishing to Eden all over again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Stop leaning to your own status quo. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. I am so amazed. It's not how you die that defines your future. It's how you live. And I am so amazed with the life that God has given me. I have opposed him on so many things. I have betrayed him in innumerable 
ways. But every morning, his mercies are brand new to me. And he declares me holy in Christ Jesus. Um, If you're here and you're like, okay, this is all kind of new to me. Let me just say, you need to invite Jesus Christ into your life. You need to accept the call of God to follow me as Jesus calls us to follow him. Say, I'm not ready for that religious stuff. No, the only religious stuff God's going to call you to is flourishing. I mean, yeah, it may hurt a little bit here and there, but that's only because he's got to get some of your status quo out of the way. God wants to free you from your obsession with your fig leaf. It's only a job. It's only a car. It's only a house. It's only hair. It's only a, I mean, it's all these things that we rely on. Jesus, Jesus invites us to be holy through the forgiveness of God. Father, we enter into this place and as we receive the body and blood, the bread and the cup, we are reminded that these are the elements. These are a better fig leaf because they are not the ones crafted by human hands. But these are the very body and blood of Jesus Christ the holy given to the unholy. He took all of our failures and all of our unholiness upon himself. And today, he declares us forgiven. He invites us to restore flourishing. It's not over for us. Age does not determine that. Color of skin does not determine that. Politics does not determine that. Your failures don't determine that. God determines who flourishes. And through Jesus Christ, we are all invited to experience his kingdom and his will being done. So today, we draw near to God, we submit to God, and we resist devilish status quo of our lives. Today we receive your holiness and forgiveness through Jesus Christ.